Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. It's been almost 20 years since my guest on this week's show stole America's heart as George Michael Bluth's girlfriend on Arrested Development. I know what you're thinking. Her? Hey, Anne, you're here. That's great. I wasn't sure whether you got my message. It wasn't a message. We talked. But well, Anne, did Dad invite you? I just figured life's too short. You two seem to care for each other. Why throw that away, huh? Huh? Okay. Do you think we really do? A father can tell, okay? It's as Anne as a nose on Plain's face. <laughs> This is The Last Laugh. I'm Matt Wilstein from The Daily Beast, and that was Mae Whitman as Anne Veal with Jason Bateman and Michael Sarah on Arrested Development. As Mae tells me in this episode, that role was a big step in her journey from adorable child actor in films like One Fine Day and Hope Floats to fully formed adult star of TV shows like Parenthood, Good Girls, and now Up Here, a new musical rom-com series streaming on Hulu. I have been a big fan of May's work, really dating back to Arrested Development. So I was so excited for the opportunity to have her on the show and talk about everything that went into getting to where she is now in her career. She joined me on Zoom from her bed, just as Up Here was about to premiere, and did not waste any time jumping into the very unique challenges of making this new show and many other incredible stories from a career that is absurdly long for someone still in their early 30s. So let's go to that conversation now. Here's me with Mae Whitman. Well, I want to start by talking about Up Here um, because, uh, you know, obviously it's coming out right now and people are going to be able to see it uh, when this goes up. Um, I have to say, I, I, I know you were a musical person. I didn't peg you as a musical theater person uh, until this show. Was that something that was uh, part of your life before this project? You know, it really wasn't. I did. I've always been like musically inclined, as they say. Um, but, you know, I think like something I really always dealt with when it came to like music, especially singing was like, it just it's so achingly vulnerable. Like I don't I couldn't, you know, I know so many people who can like be like, oh, it's my instrument. I'm tuning it. I'm this. I'm that, which makes sense. It's an instrument. But there's something about it like you know, it just always felt like I was like bearing the depths of my soul and then I would get nervous and then I was shaky and then it's insane. I was like, I can't do this, you know, and still it makes me like incredibly nervous to do. There's just something about it that for some reason feels so much more vulnerable to me than like other mediums, you know. Um, so definitely it was something that I was always like a little tense, uh, the concept of trying it out, you know, but I think like that eventually, you know, I've been doing this for a really long time or since I was a kid. And like, I do feel like, you know, it became sort of the only way I can really like challenge myself is like try to do things that really scare me. And I was sort I'm sort of like, if I can do that, anything like that, then that's not something that like lives in a corner of my brain that I don't think I can do anymore, you know. 
Um, so it's been something I've been wanting to explore. It was kind of like the only like uncharted territory uh, for me. So it's definitely something I wanted to explore. And when this came along, it was like the roster of people involved alone is like comical. You're like, you can't all be the best at what you do in one place. That's, you know, insane. Um, and so I think it was like, wow, if I could make this happen, you know, <laughs> it would be amazing. Yeah. Um, yeah. You said that, you know, the, the creative team is insane. It's the songwriters yeah. behind Frozen. It's the director of Hamilton. It's like some some serious people. Steven Levinson, who did Tick, Tick, Boom, you know, and and yeah, Dear Evan Hansen. I mean, my God, enough already. You know, you said you singing makes you nervous. I mean, so what did that mean for the audition process? You had to go in and, and sing. I Nothing assume. good. Yes, I did. Um, <laughs> it was tough. I'm going to say, I'm going to be honest. It was tough. I mean, it was even like more tough because I got sick right before I was supposed to go in and I like lost my voice. And so like it extended the waiting period of even longer of having to wait. And like the tension was just like killing me. And I was like, you know, something I've always found auditioning never gets easier. I don't care how many times you've done it, how what you know, I cannot find the system for making it not be completely terrifying as well. So like combining those things, I was like, where, what, how can I find comfort in this? And, you know, it, it, but I think like a big part of it, and again, this is like a, a big kind of, uh, you know, as I heard on The Bachelor, someone say the other day, green flag, which I didn't know we were saying, but oh, we're saying that yeah, now. I've never this heard that. was, yeah, take you're welcome. First one's free. <laughs> um, the, you know, this like green flag appeared in my life because, you know, this thing that normally would have been so unbelievably terrifying, especially coming from their end, whereas like, you would think that an audition, technically, it's both of you meeting together to see how you work together, to see how you feel about the, like, everybody should be on the same plane. And yet you feel like you're like on your knees begging at putting yourself out there and getting rejected, etc. So it's like, I remember I, I had a meeting with Thomas Kale, first of all, the director, um, just over Zoom. And it was like, we f it felt like old friends. We talked for like an hour. We had the exact same sense of humor. We just like, and I think, you know, he really gets actors and it he, everything he said is exactly how I feel about like being in this industry, whereas like the priorities being, you know, everyone feeling trusted and safe and respected and loved and appreciated. And like that laying that foundation is kind of the best way to bring out the best art. And that's like what I've found in my career. And so that felt really really soothing it didn't feel it just like it all contributed to this thing of being like whoa this really feels like it could be the right project for me but like I think again the thing that's really different about this project is yes it's singing yes it's musical theater but it's it's like the importance of it is that it's it's genuine expression it's not like oh now there's a total break from what you know is going on and it's a, this number that feels choreographed and sung that's different it's all just a different way of expressing all of those things that are happening in your head. So I think it, it had to feel really real and genuine too, you know? Is it possible to know someone? I would really like to know someone. But can you ever, probably never, really know someone? I truly wanna, hope I'm gonna, really know someone. Yeah, I mean, the way you're talking about it, it seems like it's on all levels so different than really anything you'd done before, right? Truly. Like, in every—and, you know, 
I'm somebody, I'm like, I've, again, been like doing this for like 32 years, God help me. And I'm like, you're like, you get, you can't help but get, even though I love it, you get a little like disillusioned, you know, it's sort of like you are kind of like, yeah, yeah, I know, tell the truth, we can listen, connect, you're, it's going to be great. Here we go, you know, and so I get like, I'm like, eh, rehearsal, who cares? I want it to be off the cuff. You know, it's like you kind of develop these defense mechanisms and these tools and of, of judgment where you're like, I know what this is. I'm just going to, you know, so to have those all, it was like a psychedelic drug. It's like all of that got stripped away. And it was like, here you go. Here's an entirely new like perspective and new way of digging in deep to knowing kind of what's under the surface of all of these people. Everything that we did, I was like, well, yep, here's another thing that I'm going through in my personal life. And now it's happening. You know what I mean? Which was scary um, to be that vulnerable. But that's also what produces the most special results sometimes, you know? What's an example of something of that in the show that you were sort of going through in the same way that the character was? Well, I think like, you know, there's a few things. I think like generally speaking, you know, I... I had been I've been in a place where I felt really safe, quote unquote, and like been like, okay, if I can just, you know, I was very like in the vibe of going through the maze backwards. I was like, I'll just set the thing up that I should have and then I'll just figure out what it takes to get that. And like, you know, I think it 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 really I had recently started to understand the concept that you it really doesn't necessarily work like that, at least for me. Like I you can't know. You can't control this whole illusion of control and thinking you know what you're going to want at a certain time and how to have it. And I think it contributes to this culture of being like, if I can just get this thing, then I'll be good. And then I can start enjoying my life. Then I can start focusing on whatever the thing is and being present in the moment. But I got to get this thing first, you know, yeah, and then no, it's like you look up when you're yeah. it, it's never, you know, but it feels it's such an appealing thing. You know, it's like and I think it is like that that same voice that's telling you that stoplight is red, that means I should stop my car so I don't get hurt in an accident, then sort of like bleeds into your like, you know, ego and your spiritual life and is like, that person is this and that means that they could be dangerous for me in this way if I'm open to them, so I'm going to close them out. And like, it, it's not really the same thing. And I think like that's where it gets tricky is relying on that voice to provide you, to provide you with this false sense of of security and feeling like this is good. This is what it's supposed to be like. Is this? I feel stable. I'm solid. I'm this. I'm that. And and kind of like when you know something is not right or benefiting you or or honest, you know. I think like you get into trouble anyway. You're like then the resentments build. You're stewing. It. You find yourself. You look up and all of a sudden you're in a place that you have no idea how you got there. You don't know where you are, who you are, and you're, there's no foundation for you to kind of go, you know, and then I kind of switched my perspective and I was like, instead of focusing on controlling the outcome, I'm going to really try to build the foundation with every step as I go so that wherever I end up, at least I'll have myself to rely on. You know what I mean? And I think like that's a big part of what this show is, is I having just, I kind of finally in my life got the courage up to say, I don't know what's on the other side of this, but I'm going to jump in and trust that whatever it is, is more honest and will make me feel more like myself. And I, and I did, and it changed my life in so, such a like incredibly deep and meaningful way that even just the knowledge that that exists 
gives me the confidence to do it more often, you know? It's like you have to kind of try it to see how it affects you. And having done that, I think it kind of, it was fun then to be able to go back and see this person who's at the beginning of that journey, who's like, I don't know what's on the other side of this. And it could be really horrible and I could totally fail and I could whatever, but at least I'll be like, I'll have myself as my friend as opposed to trying to make myself be quiet. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Do you feel like you were more risk averse in your career uh, before this? I feel like my career was definitely one place where I wasn't. I feel like my whole life I've been like, you know, I think you develop like a philosophy to keep you sane when you're like in any industry that's a little, you know, whatever, probably any industry, but it's like my my mechanism, I had really good parents. They're like very like mature and well-balanced and healthy. It's the reason I'm not like, you know, licking drugs off the street every day. I mean, every other day maybe, but not tonight. And um, I think like they sort of helped me prioritize and like stay grounded. And I think like the I can never take anything so seriously in the way that it like replaces my own infrastructure, my own like, you know, that I, I have to, I've always been like, you know what, if it's a stupid whatever, like you find the piece of the job that you love and you love it and you're grateful for it and whatever it is, like I've lucky, I'm lucky in that I, I can look back on all the things that I've done and Lord knows I have taken risks and Lord knows they haven't always paid off in every single way, but like I wouldn't take a single one back. Like not, there's no choice that I've made career-wise that I'm like, God, I really wish I hadn't done that. Every single one brought me something that I wouldn't trade for anything. And that is like kind of the ultimate gift, you know, is to be able to find something. You know, my best friend, Julie, who like is like, did my makeup on the show and she's truly like my hero. She's, we always joke, we're going to like move into the the motion picture old folks home together. Um, but we're like, she's the, she's like such a pro and she has the same philosophy, which is like, you find something that you love about where you are and what you're doing and you like let that blossom. And then that becomes the lesson that you take with you that changes you for the better as a person. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you know, you mentioned you've been doing this for a long time. You started very young as a, as a child actor. Um, and you're, how how did that happen? What was the what was the story behind you starting acting, you know, so young? Oh my God. Basically, it was like my mom is like she's like does a lot of voiceover and like she was doing a lot of commercial acting at the time. And so I kind of like and my dad is like a, a set carpenter, like he like designed and built sets for movies and stuff. So they were we were kind of like an industry family, but not in like a stressful way. And I remember going, you know, at like when done correctly, it can be such a vibrant like industry. If you surround yourself with the right creative people, it's like it's wonderful and fun and bright and brilliant and stimulating. And I think like I used to go with my mom a lot when she would do cartoon sessions or commercial auditions or whatever. And you're just like with these people, especially voiceover actors, like they live to make people laugh. And like the studio, the session rooms would just be impressions and voices and, you know, things that were, it was like, it was like a show every single day with people that then would scoop me up at the end and, you know, be my friends. And I mean, I remember like I used to run around like Klasky Shupo and it was like Mark Mothersbaugh and like all these people that were, you know, rugrats and animating and they were showing me like things that were just so out there and like Nickelodeon and all these like, you know, yeah, and I and so I, literally perfect for a kid. And it was like, 
It was and it was weird, too, because like it was like Nickelodeon who was so cool because they purposely went out and looked for things that were like, hi, parents, we're not here to make you happy. We want we want to know what the kid wants. And like, Lord, that's, you know, sliding out of a giant nose with slime on you or whatever it was. So it felt <laughs> yeah. like very like actually genuinely kid. It wasn't like, hey, little girl. It was like, woo, let's eat ice cream and like, you know, talk shit. And I feel like that. I, I was already immersed in that world. And then I went with my mom to an audition once when I was like three, two and a half, three, I guess, three. And um, I was hanging out with some people. And then I kind of was like, I noticed she was gone. And I like took off down the hall, like looking for her and like busted into her audition room, basically. And she kind of like chilled me out. And they were like, hey, she's kind of cute. Does she want to be in a commercial? And of course, my mom was like, absolutely not. And I was like, absolutely you know, very early on, I took to the reverse psychology of things. My parents learned that too late. But so like we tried it out and I just like thrived being on a set. I loved it. I love people. I love communicating. I love like new experiences. And there's, you know, you have hundreds of people involved in a production and every single one brings something that is absolutely necessary to getting the story told. And I just, it can be a really if you choose the right environment and you really pay attention to the people, you it can be a really wonderful and nurturing environment for a kid, I think. It's just that it's also, it can be really exploitative or whatever as well. But, you know, my parents were really focused on keeping that, keeping my priorities straight and keeping me safe. And like, you know, it was very like, if you don't want to do a big movie because you want to go to Washington, D.C. with your class to look at the presidents or whatever, then like, fuck the movie. You're going to Washington, D.C. You know, it was very like, what do you, what are you enjoying here? You know, it was a very open communication situation. So I think like it started there. And then honestly, I've just always really felt at home with on a, on a set, you know, in any capacity. It's just where I feel like myself, yeah, well, it you makes know, sense because you've been doing it for, you know, since you were so little, have, you know, your parents are not uh, super famous or anything, but have you been uh, dragged into the whole Nepo baby debate yet? Do you have any I uh, have it. thoughts? About I don't that? think <laughs> I have it. I mean, honestly, I don't because I'm like, I can't, I can't relate. I mean, I'm so out of it that people ask me for like acting advice or like advice on how to get into the business. And I'm like, be three and have your mom be doing a commercial and run down the <laughs> hall. Like, I don't know. Yeah how I don't know how to break into it. Thank God. You know, it's something I'm another thing I'm really grateful for is like, I'm such an airhead. I'm very like Gemini scatterbrain all over the place. Like, I feel like I'm it would have been hard for me to live the normal life of like, go to school, go to college, figure out what you want. Then you do that. I would have been like this and this and this and had, you know, tattoos all over my face. And I would have been like a wild child. And so I feel like having the every childhood has its own set of issues but this was a good set of issues for me because having the having this laid out this path is something that I love to do and being able having the opportunity to do it is like that's a that's a big get you know because it, it would have been hard for me to to know and so like I can't imagine I don't know the feeling of like launching into the world at 22 and being like what am I gonna do in this big city I was like at seven being like, this is cute. Love kindergarten. Got to be up at six for my call time, though. So can we wrap this up? You know what I mean? Yeah, like, I mean, you, you, got, I already you started had that. getting cast in these big movies, um, you know, as really key roles, uh, you know, When a Man Loves a Woman. Yes, I was uh, four. One Fine Day, Independence Day. Yeah. What, are your, what are your memories like from those films? Because, you know, memories at that age are kind of, 
strange and scattered and you know you remember flashes of things so do you feel like you have memories or is it from seeing the movie or how do you think kind it's of think definitely about that? i definitely have memories like i I'm I have a pretty like strong like memory sense. I'm like a person who remembers every element of every dream that I have. I'm very like, you know, like on top of that. And I but you're right. It's like the the flashes of memories that you have are they're so strange. Like, it's not like I remember I worked with blah, blah, blah. And he said to me, you better get out. You know, it's like I'm like, I remember, you know, we I like drove past the circle line the other day because we were, you know, on the like um, the West Side Highway and. I was like, oh, my God, I remember filming One Fine Day. And I remember and that was cool, too, because it was like my earliest memories of New York were like I got to like in the 90s and people were wearing khaki trench coats. And it was like on this big gray cell phones. And like it was such a specific time. And I got to experience it at like six years old with my family. We got to do everything. It was a, such a like comprehensive New York moment. And I remember being on we filmed on the like parking garage of the circle line. And I remember it was fucking freezing, like to the like it's colder than anything's <laughs> ever been cold. And I remember Michelle Pfeiffer was where I had like one of those giant puffy warming coats. And she let both Alex D. Linz and I, who played her kid, come like cling to either leg of hers <laughs> in the puffy coat. And I remember just everyone being so jealous. They were like, I want to cling to Michelle Pfeiffer's leg. And we were like, <laughs> yeah. sorry, this is just where we're kind of hanging out. But like, those are the weird memories I have, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, you just had this uh, great reunion with one of your uh, co-stars uh, from How Friends. How cool was that? I know. Jennifer Aniston. On, uh, I know. Well, that was on live with, uh, with Kelly. With and Kelly Ryan. and Ryan. Um, that was totally I mean, random, got, by the way. Yeah. yeah. Had no idea it was going to happen. I didn't even know she was the other guest. Like, it just, it was, the, it just, happen naturally and again that's something that's cool in this industry when you've been doing it for so long is that you're like you're you you know people from so many different weird ways and walks of life and like even you know zach guilford who i do the friday night lights podcast with and who i've he's since played my husband and my this and my that like but i remember he told me on the podcast he was like you don't remember you you came up to me and my wife at a restaurant like years ago and you scared the shit out of us because you were so aggressively excited to meet me about, about Friday, Friday Night Lights, Lights that you we actually were like, we should take this food to go because that woman is not well. <laughs> and like, you know, you and then it's like now look at us. We're, you know, yeah, ex-husband on the thing. It's like yeah. so this Jennifer Aniston thing. And again, you know, the whole like Maya Angelou thing of like people you they remember the way you make them feel. I really like strongly resonate with that so much. And like at having been a child, the people that made you feel safe and loved and like respected, they stick with you. And then they they kind of formulate your way of how you are on sets. And I feel like Friends, you know, again, my favorite show when I was a child, what I was relating to, like, I don't know, they were like making jokes about <laughs> yeah, marriage. I mean, and I was I like, know, I know same, this one, you know, yeah. Yeah, I think it, <laughs> it's weird, I think kids right? still love it. I know. Now there's like just it. something yeah. about it. So this must be kind of neat for you, huh? I mean, your dad tells me you get a couple of days off school and you uh, you don't have to sell those cookies anymore. <laughs> well, I kind of wanted to sell the cookies. The girl who sells most wins a trip to space camp and gets to sit in a real space shuttle. Wow, you, uh, you really like all this space stuff, huh? <laughs> yeah, my dad says if I spend as much time helping clean apartments as I do daydreaming about outer space, he'd be able to afford a trip to the Taj Mahal. 
I think you'd have to clean a whole lot of apartments to go all the way to India. No, the one in Atlantic City. Dad loves the slots. <laughs> I was so excited to be there, and I'd never done a sitcom, and I'd never, it was just, everything was so new and interesting, and, like, the live audience, and, like, you know, and I remember they just made me feel, it was, they they really took me in and made me feel, like, loved, and and I remember she was especially, like, maternal and caring in that environment. And so it, it felt like important to me to like express to her that that was something I took with me in the rest of my career. And like it, it shaped who I was and how I am on sets, you know? And it was just like, what a cool moment to be able to like let somebody, I'm sure literally every character actor and their mother is like constantly telling her like, I was on Friends, you know? Yeah. But like, it felt it felt very cool to be able yeah, to just be like, cool. no stress, but you changed my life, gotta go. Coming up, May talks about landing the role of Anne Veal on Arrested Development and what it was like to play a character defined by how bland she looked at 14 years old. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. If you're enjoying this episode and want to hear more, please make sure you are following The Last Laugh wherever you get your podcasts. By subscribing to The Last Laugh, you can listen to our episodes with some of May's Arrested Development co-stars, like Michael Sarah, David Cross, Tony Hale, and more, along with everything else from our free archive. And you'll be the first to hear new episodes when they drop every Tuesday. And while you're at it, please leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let us know how much you love the show and who you want to hear next. Now, back to Mae Whitman. So obviously, you know, making the transition from child actor to adult actor is like famously a difficult thing and it doesn't always work out. Yeah. Um, was that, did you feel like it was your decision to to make that transition and how did you navigate it? You know, I think, again, like so much of my life, like I hate to give them all this credit, but my parents really like the way that they like their perspective on this whole thing. It was so about open communication. I mean, I didn't even like rebel as a kid because my parents were basically like, we talk about things in this family and we explain. It was never like, because I said so, because I think that would have made me like, well, fuck you. I'm going to do it anyway. You know, it was like they would explain why things they didn't want me to do something or they would explain why there was a risk factor or and then they would entrust me with my own choices. 
And then I was like, well, I don't want to get in a car with a drunk teen. That sounds dangerous, you know, like, and they were very, like, supportive and very, you know, I could always call my dad if I'd been, if I felt unsafe when I was whatever at any time of the night and he picked me up, you know, there was no judgment. It was a very, like, open communication thing. And I think that transferred into the career of it all, which is like, I think also for, like, women, it's real hard to transition because it's sort of, you go from, it being about the fact that you're like uh, the best actor to being like, well, are you hot? Even though you're a kid, are you famous? Are you this? Like it's a it's a it can be a very creepy and upsetting, like pubescent transformation there. And again, I think in general, kids need people that have their true best interests at heart. And I think in this industry, like it's even like well-intentioned people, it's it's hard to separate the things that people want from you from what is actually best for the person standing in front of you. And I think like that was that was always the priority is like, let's talk about what's actually best for you. And I feel like, you know, I was lucky enough that I actually was on a TV show um, that was really great. It was called State of Grace. It was like the Wonder Years, but like for girls. And it was right in the weird, like, like pubescent transformation. It was like 11, 12 to like you know, 13, 14. And I, so I sort of like zoomed through the awkward phase of whatever else. And, and I didn't really have to worry about being like, I'm wearing a training bra. Is that okay? Old man, like, you know, which is a disaster and a whole other situation that's just weird. But at the same time, then there was Arrested Development where you're playing this character (laughs) who is like, the whole joke is how awkward she looks. Which like fun. Uh, I know people are always like, are your feelings hurt? I'm like, no. George Michael, I'd love for you to come with me when I cut the ribbon at the new house. Oh, wow. Hey, can I bring Ann? Who? Ann. You know, she's she's the girl I'm kind of hanging out with. I haven't met Ann. Yes, you have. Michael had met Ann. Let her in. She, that's, that's her right over there. Oh, Ann. Yes, yeah. yes, 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 yes. Ann. I know Ann. Hey, that's you. She's got a little hard-boiled egg going there. Oh, it's so cute. She sometimes takes a little pack of mayonnaise and she'll squirt it in her mouth all over, and then she'll take an egg and kind of... Mm-hmm. <laughs> she calls it a mayonnaise egg. <laughs> Are you okay? I don't feel so good. You know, I kind of want to buy her a diamond. Her? Yeah, I mean, it's one of my favorite shows of all time. Me and, too. And you're so great on it, and it's such a Thanks. unique character, uh, Anne really. Veal. Yes, Anne Veal, who, by the way, all neutrals, all the time, like, it's confusing area. It was the, the whole the whole <laughs> thing. I mean, Mitch Hurwitz is such a, like, brilliant genius, and I love, like, those people. I mean, Allie was my best friend from State of Grace already. I became best friends with Michael Sarah. Like, we kind of were all really close, so I was always hanging around anyway, and I think they were that's a that's a show, too, where Mitch is so aware of what's going on that he will just change things. He's not like, I want to control this the way I want to do it. He'll be like, you know, it'd be funny. You know, it'd be great. You know, it'd be this like, you know, there was so much like changing and moving and growing with the characters. And like, I think that's what makes it feel really like fresh and alive and all this stuff. And to me, like, again, I'm somebody that's like, I'd so much rather people are like, aren't you offended? And I'm like, no, I would so much rather be like the character actor, quote unquote, who like has interesting things to do and, you know, whatever else than like the the version of what people have wanted from like lead women in the past, which is like, be quiet, be sweet, wear a tank top, 
don't make waves. You know, I was like, no, I'm going to have my ears pierced and I'm going to be in all neutral shades, you know, preaching Jesus in this weird TV show. Like, yeah. I would so much I mean, rather it's, it's, do that, yeah, you know? I can see, you know, having that perspective now, but it's it's impressive if you had it then at, what, 14 years old or something when you, I know, when you started. But I'd already been doing it for like 12 years. So it's like, if you think about it, technically I should already be in the motion picture home, like comparatively speaking, <laughs> yeah. like my soul is in the motion picture home, even though, you know, I stand before you in my thirties. <laughs> yeah. What was, do you remember the sort of description of the character um, of Anne and, and sort of when you were going out for it and what you, what you, how you approached the audition and all that? Yes. It was so strange. Like, I think the the weird thing about Arrested 2 is, like, it was a completely new, like, territory. Like, nothing really made sense. Like, I remember when Allie booked it, it was like, she was like, I, I got this show and I don't really know what it is and they don't really know what it is. And we're t- it was improv, <laughs> but it wasn't. And it was like this and the jokes happen, but they're really fast and they're not really jokes. And then they, it comes back later. She, we were all, everybody was kind of like, we don't know what this is, but it's good, whatever it is. And so I think it was like, it was this interesting thing. And I think the thing that really kept it together was like, you know, Mitch and the writers and everybody having such an idea of the tone and and such a clear vision and being like, trust us, this is what it is. And this is and then it's going to all come together. And I loved that it was like one of the first shows I felt like comedically that didn't like assume their audience was stupid. It was like, no, you can keep up. If you can't keep up, you'll rewatch it and you'll get it the next time. Like it was it, you know, and, and it and it elevated like the whole like comedic sensibility I think of like television and but I do I remember it was sort of like you know there had been like a prior iteration of Anne at the like at the end of season one and I think their initial gag was they were going to keep replacing the Anne so that she was like a little bit different every time which (laughs) is also hilarious but you know then I came on there and I was like these people are my friends I love this and they were like we're just going to keep this Anne and just sort of it was it was really about like that one was so fascinating, too, because my favorite thing to build upon her is like, yes, keep it as flat, as neutral, as nothing. But then she's a fucking pervert. She's like underneath <laughs> there. She's a weird, repressed pervert who's eating eggs, who wants to like fuck, basically. She's like, I want to get into that secular zone and I don't and I'm going to use this poor teenager to do it. So she's yeah. like much creepier. Yeah, clearly he was not quite. I mean, although they did do some great prank calls of jerky boys, uh, which to me was the funniest thing of all time. <laughs> of course, she ends up with Job uh, in the later. Oh my seasons. god! Can you I mean, believe? You, yeah, you see, it seems like at the beginning there was like a lot of jokes about Anne, and then when yes. you came back in that after that long break for season the four, you, you got to do a lot more, right? Yes, I was like the jokes on you guys. I am having a child with Ben Stiller. I'm making out <laughs> with Will Arnett. Like fuck you, you know. Well. How long has it been? It's been five years. What are you doing here? I'm taking my five-year-old to see Fantastic Four. I'm pretty sure that's an adult. Wait, you have a five-year-old? We. What? We what? No, we. It's French for yes. As in, yes, I have a son and his father's a magician. Oh, it's not us. Don't worry, it's not you. It was a real magician. He took advantage of how angry I was when he wouldn't come out of that cave. He promised me a life together, and after he had his way with me, he never wanted to see me again. I don't think there's anything wonderful about Tony Wonder. Are you kidding me? Are you saying Tony's straight? That's kind of the thing I loved about her is, like, 
she's so unassuming that then you accidentally completely don't pay attention to her. And now she's in the entire power position where like boys are weeping over her. Job's jealous. It's this (laughs) and that. Like she's kind of like becomes the main power source. And like another thing I really loved about her is like she's one of the only characters that Lucille loves. Like, there's, like, Lucille hates everybody, and then yet this, like, Anne comes along, and Lucille's, like, I like her, even though, like, for all intents and purposes, she should, she's, like, everything that Lucille would hate, and everybody's, like, her? Like, it's, like, it it really wraps up the her thing of, like, why? Why? Why her, you know? And so there's having all those layers to her of, like, this intense, like, creepy neediness, and, like, you know, her Uncle Paul, who's, like, keeping boys trapped in the house i mean and singing weird cra- i mean that michael's whole bit about like you know well like there's another seven hours you know they're on bethlehem time and like it just i that whole that's the only time i i really i made michael bust up during a take was when we were filming this the scene where we're all singing like in german with our arms around him like around a cross where all the gifts are like socks and like you know white t-shirts and stuff and like we had to sing that song in german and, my, and, you know, he's like, Uncle Paul has his, like, arms around us all. And I was trying to sing it in, like, a choral voice. And Michael burst out laughing and ruined the take. And I was like, okay, that's a crowning moment for me is making yeah, my, Michael lose his shit. Yes, I was finally got him. He's just too funny. I mean, he lo- he enjoy- he loves laughing. He loves making people laugh. We have, like, our birthdays are two days apart. We're, like, pretty similar. But he's, like, he's just one of those very few people that it just comes out of him like that he's just too funny for the world and it and you can't there's no getting ahead of that you just sit and you don't want to you just want to sit there and be in his presence because he's so generous and so truly kind-hearted that but the funniness it just comes pouring out and you just like you're just happy to be there and so I feel like it is it's more just that he's so present with you in the ability to go to the funny places with you that then to like catch him off guard and make him break in that way is like, it's rare and it feels real good. So we have to talk about Parenthood um, because I have to tell you that it is probably the show or one of the shows that I've watched and rewatched the most in my life. Are you serious? Because partly because started with being my wife's favorite show. I'll admit that. But sure. I fell in love with the show as well and uh, and rewatched it with her many times. That is the Um, best. And it's just, it's just so good. And it's like, yeah, it's funny. It's, it's sad. It's it's everything. Uh-huh. And, um, uh-huh. and I just, uh, so yeah, I mean, did that feel like, you know, we're talking about this transition going from yeah. you know, Talk about childhood a pivot. To, to adulthood and, and your character, Amber, kind of starts as a teenager, but you were a little uh-huh. older. Did that feel like the first real grown up job in some ways? You know, I think in some ways, I think it was like the the, the amazing thing about that show for me that really stood out was like Jason Kadams is someone who is it was the first time I'd worked on a set where all the leaders were basically like, go, we trust you. And and that was like, you know, we improvised so much on that show. I mean, so much of that was improv. And like, I in what universe do you have 21 series regulars that all actually love each other and get along and enjoy coming <laughs> to work and never fight? It Like, it's not, it's unheard of. And I feel like He's such a genius at he he can see people and and artists and he puts them together and then lets them do what they do best. And in in having that trust, 
you are like, this is a part of me and I want to protect this character. I want these, I want this storyline to be the best. I want it to make sense. I want these people to be real and I want to do the best by them. And I feel like, I mean, that is, that was the first experience where I, because there is a real tendency in this industry to like lead by fear and to try to like force people to be whatever, whatever, you know, it's like, you think you have to prove by being an asshole and making people do what you whatever. And like, he was like, he he was so secure in what he'd put together that he just let us be ourselves. And I think like it comes through the screen, like all of that love, all of that stuff. It's it's genuine, like true captured things on on screen that I mean, we would literally go into a room and be like, they'd be like, OK, so in this scene, you're going to tell her you're going to tell Lauren that you're pregnant. She's going to, you know, she doesn't like she's doesn't approve. And you guys just to figure it out. And like, that is like, for a lot of actors, including me in the beginning, terrifying because you're like, but what it really helps you do is hone your voice of honesty and go like kind of what we were talking about of like building the foundation of being like, I'm going to do everything I can to to be this person in this moment and then trust that whatever comes out is real. And, you know, you have somebody like Lauren in there that is like one of the best actors in the world who's so brilliantly smart and and honest and vulnerable that like to go in that that is like uh, an actor's dream to that kind of practice of doing that for seven years with some of the most talented people it really gives you an entirely new perspective on how to tell the truth and how to be present in the moment and like so many of those moments were just genuine present you know and they had this brilliant technique where they would like put three cameras in the room all at once so you would get both people's coverage yeah, at once so like you didn't have to turn around yeah exactly there was no like the reactions are all genuine to each other it's not like because usually it's like facing one direction and then you're waiting 30 minutes and then they're coming back and you just ate lunch and you're tired and it's not the same you know and it can feel a little disjointed but this is like what you see is what you get you're in the room with us it's honest it's raw it's real i mean craig's whole speech to me at the, you know, car lot yeah, when he says the whole thing, yeah. completely made up. Like, no, it was like, we went for rehearsal and he was like, I'm going to stand here. And I, and it was like, okay. And he was like, see ya. And like, just had to go into that with no idea what was going to happen. And he wrote, it just came out of him. He just wrote that and, whole thing. And then is that the first take that gets used because it's your there, we did it reaction? Like, we did it like twice because he was like, I want to throw something different in there. But yeah, that was the, f- that, like, often, and you know, it became that everything, we, we would get everything so early that, again, on top of already being a dream job where we all loved each other so much, we were getting out in like seven hours, which is like, you know, usually it's like you're praying that you can be done in 14. Yeah, but this was like there weren't a million setups and there weren't know, a million setups yeah. and you didn't have to That's try amazing. to find it. Yeah, yeah, it was like it was almost like embar- and Lauren used to be like, you wait, you'll see you were never going to have it this good again. And we were like, yeah, whatever. And then, of course, you go on to do other things and you're like, Jesus Christ, that was a dream <laughs> job. And, you know, it's like I'm still so close with so many of those people. Craig, I hung out with him in Hawaii, like. Dax is one of my best friends. You know, Lauren and Miles, I see so much every day, basically, that I forget we were on a TV show together. Like, I'm like, oh, isn't <laughs> it funny that, like, we met because I was, like, pushing you over because I was, like, yeah. had pills in my well, purse or whatever. Well, the three of you out in the, out in the wild, it would be very they do. disorienting. It's, yeah. It is. They get, it's like, they we watch it happen where they see one of us and they're like, that person looks kind of familiar. Wait, isn't that, oh my God. Like, and they see the three of us <laughs> yeah, and, and it's like, like they can't process this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> they're like, who are you? Yeah, it's very cool. And again, you know, I'm lucky enough that 
the people that the projects I've worked on usually have affected people in a way that's not like like disconnected from uh, something really deep inside them. It's usually like they they grab onto something that is really meaningful. And so the fan interactions I usually have are so genuine and like like vulnerable and deep. And, and it's usually like from parenthood, the big message was like, you made me feel less alone. And like that is like something, it's like the ultimate compliment. You know, it's like why we would do this job in the first place, you know? Yeah, I feel like the rap on the show for good or bad was that it would make you cry in like every I episode. Know. And, that was and I felt, it's so funny because it's like, we didn't try to do that, which is what's iconic is like, I picture that everybody was like, oh, and then it, you know, in the script, it says Amber cries. It was never written. Like it, nothing, none of that was written in. It's just like when you're working with those people and there's vulnerability there, you can't help it. Now I'm like, you can't get a tear out of me to save my goddamn life. I'm a brick wall. But like then it was like, you know, we would I would go home and just like stare at a wall for like three hours and try to like drink water because I was like, I, I, I just went through it was like the craziest catharsis every single day, you know, and it was genuinely like group therapy every day of your life. Yeah. I mean, it seems like it's not that it was manipulating people to cry. It was showing something so real that people had that real reaction to it every single one was a real reaction it was not you know people always be like oh here i am crying again and i'm like yeah how do you think we feel i barely have eyes after doing this you know show for this long i mean amber come on don't screw everything up for yourself just because you're mad at me doesn't have anything to do with you not everything i do is about you i love him and he loves me okay oh god what? Why do you insist on making every mistake I made? You know, every time you talk about your life being a mistake, all I hear is that my whole existence is a mistake and you... Oh, no. Oh, no. no. Honey, I don't want to talk right. to you right now. Honey, I don't want to leave you so upset. Please leave me alone, okay? Please, I don't want to talk to you. Okay, okay. okay. I'm really sorry. It's fine, Mom. Please, just leave me alone. Okay, I'll come back. <laughs> so I want to get to our, our final segment here, but um, the the one other thing I was going to ask is I know you were, you're such a huge Friday Night Lights fan and you do this podcast about Friday Night Lights. Was that part of what made you really want to do Parenthood? Was that sort of already in your in your head as, as something that you wanted to work on because of that? It like wasn't yet. I hadn't really, it was sort of like the opposite where I, I started like working this way with Jason and then I was like, oh, he's got this other show. I wonder what that created within me, you know, because I'm like, if, if we're doing this this way and it feels like this, I wonder if that was like this. And then I watched it and I was like, well, yeah, it is clearly because these, this shit is so real. And, you know, I remember having seen the movie in theaters and my friends being like, you see the one? And I was like, I don't want sports. No, you know, and then I like cried hysterically the entire movie. Like I could not keep it together. And, you know, then like Peter Berg being involved and all this stuff. And I just it's a show about life and like the fact that like truly the most drama and the most unhinged drama comes from like intimate relationships because people act fucking crazy when it's like family and there's no rules and no boundaries and it's like you're all just taking each other for granted and using each other to learn and whatnot and I feel like that the drama that's created that's genuine is like so intense and I just was I was moved by the amount of truth that was coming out on that show constantly and so yeah I became obsessed with it and then of course I was like there's so many hot men and women on this show. I want them all to play my love interest at some point in my career. And that's kind of been 
my goal. Yeah, and I'm doing great. I've got goal, a good yeah. track record. I'm like, I'm up to like four or five right now. And, you yeah. know, I'm still, Taylor still, Kitch is still, still at it. Still on he's, the, he's eluding me. And now it's starting yeah. to feel personal. I feel like he's like, <laughs> you know, moved to the countryside because he's like, there's this small woman out there who's like tracking <laughs> my moves, you know, um, but I'll get him one day when he's least expecting it. You know what I mean? So now it's time for our segment, The First Laughs. We're going to try to run through these uh, relatively Exciting. quickly here. Uh, okay. Starting with the first piece of comedy that made you laugh really hard as a kid. Okay. Great question. It was uh, Monty Python and the Holy Grail. I couldn't believe what I was hearing. I still quote it every day, obviously, obviously, but I was like, First of all, I was like, British people are funny. It's just funny. Everything about it's funny. But I couldn't believe kind of the like, you know, the kind of the way it would just tumble off. I mean, still, even when my dad is, you know, not feeling well and I'm like, you need to lay down, he'll be like, I'm feeling much better. I'm not dead yet. You know, this whole <laughs> thing. And there's I think it's like I was a, that it kind of was like, again, influential when it came to Arrested, where it was like, you, you don't have to wait for them to laugh. You don't have to. You know, it can just the more sort of like the character believes what they're saying, the funnier it is, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, I often ask guests about their first late night TV or talk show appearance. Oh, I stumbled a good one. across yours uh, on on YouTube on Rosie O'Donnell's show when you were nine years old, uh, sitting next to Sandra Bullock. What do you remember about that experience? What I remember about that experience, first of all, not my first, told your applause, but oh, okay. a very good one <laughs> because, you know, I was very close with Sandra Bullock, called her Sandy. Um, we were like, she really took me under her wing to the point where we were like girlfriends. Like we would like go to dinner after work. My parents would be like, if she's being annoying, we can take her from you. And I'd be like, you guys don't get it. Like you don't get <laughs> us. Go away. And like we go out to dinner and talk about relationships and all this stuff. And we just had this like connection. And so I remember that that was the funniest thing to me because I look back now and I'm like, it's hilarious to see this like nine year old acting like a total adult, like being like embarrassed, like she says something sort of like, you know, embarrassing. And I give her this like daggers look where I'm like, excuse me, let us not air our private laundry on the Rosie O'Donnell show of all places, you know. What don't you like about school? Um, it's kind of boring. Boring. Yeah. I mean, you, you just go there and you have to do a lot of work. Oh, I hate yeah. writing stuff. You hate writing stuff? Mm -hmm. Yeah. But you're nine years old? Yeah. Yeah. I think maybe you're very smart for a nine-year-old. That's why so you're a little smart. bored with it. We would have some pretty good conversations. She gives good, like, social life advice. Oh, yeah? <laughs> she asks you some poignant questions where you're like, oh, my God, I never thought of that. She's good at that. Thank you. You are. You Thank are. You. And you know it. That which is hilarious to me. And I do also remember when I did... My other earliest memory of it is when I went on Jay Leno when I was like six years old. And oh, I remember wow. I didn't it even was, that. Yeah. yeah, I'll try to dig that up for you. It's hilarious. But I remember they, Jay, it was like the New Year's show and Jay had called my family and asked like, oh, what's her New Year's resolution? And my resolution was for my parents to let me get a turtle. And so they called my parents and they were like, hey, can we get her a turtle and give it to her on the show? And my parents were, of course, were distressed, but they were like, sure, whatever. And I remember going on the show. They gave me this turtle. I couldn't believe it. And I was clutching the turtle. And the story is apparently I walked off the set and like went up to the prop master and was like, here you go. And like dejectedly gave it back. And they were like, that's your turtle. And I was like, no, I, I understand. It's just a it's prop a for the yeah. show. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was a bit. And like they were like, no, you get to keep this turtle. And I had that turtle <laughs> for 20, 22 years. Oh Leslie. Did, yeah. Leslie, you didn't name it Jay? I, I named it Leslie Leno because it was it was oh, okay. a female, is you it, know. 
<laughs> she identified as female. And so she was she was really like one of my best friends for a long time. We we wept like babies when she passed. Yeah. <laughs> Do you have a story or memory from your career that makes you laugh now, but really was not funny when it happened? Oh, God. I mean, what the what don't what what wasn't funny that I laughed at? <laughs> my God, my whole my defense mechanism is laughing. So basically everything that happened it wasn't funny. I, I still think this is funny, but looking back, I can see how it was probably distressing. But I remember, you know, George Clooney is like the biggest prankster on the planet. He's another one who was like really influential to me. One of like is someone who like he would like come to my school picnics. You know, he was like he would he used to do this thing where he would when you had like the scholastic school fair where you had to like sell stuff in the winter would get like, you know, a balloon or whatever. And I remember I would always call him the day before the competition and he'd be like, okay, what's the, what, what does the highest kid have? He'd be like, double that and put me down for it. And then I would just go in and just like, uh, like school everybody. <laughs> they hated my guts, but I was like, yeah, but I got the balloon. So fuck you. But I, he would do this thing where, you know, on one fine day, the whole bit was like, we were carrying a kitten around with us the whole day. And so they made this like, you know, $8,000 realistic rubber looking kitten. So we didn't have to like have a kitten around. And he, one of his big jokes was when we were out and there was like a scene with a bunch of background or whatever, he would like have me play catch with the kitten and like pretend like it was a real kitten. And I remember we, after a while, somebody called the ASPA, the ASPCA on us and they like came and had to do like a full investigation to make sure we weren't like throwing kittens at each other. <laughs> So I'm like, looking back, I can see how that report was probably distressing for someone. But, you know, at the time, it was hilarious. Um, and finally, do you have an audition story? Because I'm sure you've been on a lot of them that stand oh, out God. in your head, either because it went particularly well or something that really didn't work that you didn't get or just something that, that stands out in your memory. Definitely not because it went really well. That those That's not really a thing that happens. Yeah. That's not really a <laughs> phenomenon that happens too much. Uh, usually you, I walk out of every audition being like, well, another fucking disaster added to the list. But, um, I would say the one that sticks out in my brain that still hurts is when I actually was a musical, it was probably why I didn't want to audition for musicals for a long time was I auditioned for Hairspray. And I, I truly was like, I hope to God this video never leaks because God help me. <laughs> I could not find the key. I was truly like a I was a mess. And it was like I I was really having like a moment where I was like, oh, there, Baltimore. Sorry. <laughs> Is it the dry in here, right? There's no you guys don't have a humidifier. OK, like it was so bad. And so I still to this day sometimes think about that and I'm traumatized from that experience. But like, <laughs> gotcha. Only took me 20 years. But here here I am. I'm doing it. Yeah, you're doing it. It's uh, I'm back. Well, congrats on uh, on everything and um, thank you. And, uh, yeah, on the new show up here, and um, this has been so fun to talk with you. I've enjoyed Thanks, your Matt, work you too. For, for decades. So thank you. A what delight. a cool thing to say. Thank you. It really was. <laughs> it was great to talk to you. Thanks. That was super fun. All right. Thank you so much to Mae Whitman for joining me on this week's episode. All eight episodes of Up Here are streaming now on Hulu. And you can find her podcast, It's Not Only Football, Friday Night Lights and Beyond, wherever you're listening to this podcast. If you want to support The Last Laugh, please help us out by leaving a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. We want as many people to hear this show as possible, and you can help by spreading the word and sharing it with your friends. You can find me on Twitter at Matt Wilstein and at TheDailyBeast.com. 
And if you're not already, please follow at Last Laugh Pod on Instagram, where you can see photos and videos from all of our episodes and see who is coming up next week on the show. The Last Laugh is distributed by Acast for The Daily Beast, with audio production by Jesse Cannon. Our theme music is by Claude, who you can find on Instagram at claude.mp3. You can find this show every week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as always, you can find show notes and highlights from each episode on thedailybeast.com. See you next week. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.